Okay, amazing faith. Where does it come from? How do you get it? It's just some people are born with it and other people are never going to have it? No, we've been learning ways to grow, strengthen our faith. Today's topic is pre-decided. Now, I want to start with a love-hate word, a word we love to hate or hate to love, and that's this word here, discipline. We hate doing it, but we love the consequence or results, don't we? Whether it's physically, <laughs> um, eating right, exercise, those type things, sleeping, whether it's financially, being responsible for, with our finances, in our relationships, are we spending the time we need to be spending quality time with those that we care about? Those disciplines, among others, it's hard to do it sometimes, but we love the benefits. One thing about discipline, though, is you never regret doing it, do you? You never regret eating properly, exercising, taking care of your finances, taking care of your relationships. You never regret that, but it's still a struggle for us. If you don't like the word discipline, even that's a good word, Disciple comes the word discipline, Jesus follower. Um, how about good habits? We all like good habits, right? Brush your teeth, wash and floss your teeth, whatever. Good habits. Doing things that are good for you and people around you. Maybe for the world. Maybe you are concerned about the environment. Good habits. Now, something we celebrate that's required to have good habits or discipline is self-control. That's another word for discipline, right? Self-control. And, and we celebrate this in other people. When we see people that have self-control with their finances or self-control uh, with their health or whatever, we celebrate that. We're happy for them. And we are for ourselves as well. Now, interesting thing about self-control, though. The motive and or the attitude are not necessarily related to the outcome. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Okay, you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you got to change your diet or you're going to die. And so what do you do? You change your diet, right? Most of us would do that. Um, not necessarily the best motive. I mean, not dying is a good motive, I guess, but it wasn't your idea. It was a doctor's idea. And you probably, maybe you hate, I love salad, but maybe you hate salad. <laughs> and so now you got to eat salad all the time. All right? So you got, motive wasn't necessarily the greatest your attitude is terrible, but if you change your diet, you're happy with the outcome, right? It doesn't matter. Wrong motive, bad motive, bad attitude, as long as you do it. Self-control, discipline, good habits. In fact, I put it on your outline this way. These ought-to things sometimes become want-to things because we see the benefit and it encourages us and we continually want to do it. Another way of saying is the, what we endure becomes something we can actually enjoy. So if we have the discipline, if we have the self-control, if we have the uh, good habits, or they'll become habits, all right? We do it over and over, it'll become a habit, and eventually it becomes a lifestyle. Whether it's, like I say, diet, exercise, whatever it might be. In fact, pretty strong statement, but I think it's true, discipline facilitates progress. Without discipline, you, you and I don't make much progress, <laughs> financially or physically or relationally or whatever. It requires discipline, and eventually, it facilitates prosperity, especially if we think in the terms of finances. So the simple question is, why is it so hard? 
Why is it a word we love to hate or hate to love? And the basic reason is this. Because it requires delayed gratification. And we don't want to wait for anything, do we? We want to enjoy it now. So, I've got to change my diet and get involved in exercise to have, be a, have a healthy body. I'd like to have the healthy body right away, but it requires work and discipline to get there, right? We'd like to be sound financially, but we'd like to be able to spend whatever we want now. Well, we can't do that. We've got to delay the gratification. It reminds me of, well, <clears throat> put a definition kind of on your outline. <laughs> Doing what we ought to do now so that we can do what we want to do later. So, I ought to be healthy now so I can be healthy later. Do the things a healthy person can do. Reminds me of Dave Ramsey's statement, and some of you taking that class. Live like nobody else, meaning sacrifice financially now, so later you can live like nobody else, so you can be financially secure. Most of you probably know this, majority of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. That's not financially secure. Why? Because they couldn't do enough delayed gratification to get there. Majority of people. Now, some people uh, just out of their control. So, that's where we're going today, but let's do some review. We said when Jesus invited somebody to enter his family or whatever term you want to use, he didn't say, just believe that I'm God. He said, follow me. So, follow me means doing something, right? So Jesus goes over here, I go over here. If Jesus goes over here, I go over here. If Jesus acts this way, I act that way. Jesus thinks this way, I think this way. So it's a lot different than just believe me. But people like me in the, in, in the church think, well, people aren't going to do that. That's too hard. People aren't going to uh, say all my finances are God's and I, you know, just get to manage it. People aren't going to love everybody and love their enemies and forgive everybody and do all that stuff, turn the other cheek. People aren't going to do that. So let's make it a little easier. We don't want to turn people away. We want as many people as possible. So what do you say? You just believe. You just believe Jesus was who he said he was. Yeah, he was perfect. He was God. He died and rose from the dead. You just believe that and you're good. Now, believe in me doesn't require anything other than some intellectual consent, right? Doesn't require anything. I don't have to change anything. I don't have to act differently. I don't have to think, do anything differently. I believe I'm good. On the flip side or the worst side of that, then consequently, your faith doesn't grow, doesn't get stronger. It certainly doesn't get amazing. It gets weaker. So it's like a muscle. You don't use it, it's going to get weaker. And eventually, can be so frail, it's useless. In fact, probably all of us know somebody that was a believer and now is not. Right? What happened? Well, they didn't have an, what we're using the term active faith. They had an intellectual faith. Something came along. Oh, that sounds better to me. So I'm going to forget, believe that, and start believing this. So we've been asking this question. What would you and I do? What would you and I change? What would you and I start? What would you and I start? stop doing if we were absolutely 100% convinced that God is with us. We'd be unstoppable, wouldn't we? If we had that kind of faith. So we're looking at 
what, what develops that kind of faith? What fuels that kind of faith? And we're using the word active faith. Shouldn't need the word active, but uh, in our, uh, our definitions of faith, we have to add active. So a faith has to be active. So, so can I have stronger faith, greater faith, amazing faith? Can, how do I, what are the essential ingredients of a faith that is growing, getting stronger? What, what do I need to do? Can I, can I do, do something? So, next slide, what are essential ingredients? <clears throat> uh, so we review three things we said. If you want to grow your faith, we, the last three weeks we talked about three different things you and I can do, practical things that you and I can do. Say, yeah, I want to grow my faith, so do this. So the first one was application teaching. That means when you read something in here, or you hear somebody like me say something, or you read something in a book, or you hear something on a podcast or whatever, and rather than just saying, oh, that's a good idea, or yeah, I should do that, you actually do it. So, love my enemies? I'm going to actually love my enemy. Forgive everyone? I'm, that person doesn't, don't deserve my forgiveness. They certainly shouldn't be forgiven, but I'm going to forgive them anyway. Application teaching. Getting handles on what we call faith, Christianity. Then two weeks ago, we talked about specific application, and that's personal ministry. And we said, you get these, these, I call them nudges from God, all right? It's usually outside of your comfort zone, something you don't feel comfortable doing or you'd rather not be doing, but you just feel this sense that this is, I should do this. I should call this person. I should volunteer for this. I should visit this person. I should write this person a letter, uh, whatever it might be. You get this nudge. And if you're like most of us, sometimes you do it and sometimes, eh, I don't feel like doing it. But if you want to grow your faith, if you want to get your faith stronger, then you step out in that outside your comfort zone, whether it's teaching children, going on a missions trip, whatever it might do, sacrificing financially for someone else, whatever it might be. That will absolutely grow your faith because God's always faithful. So if you do what he asks you to do, then he's going to use the word bless you. There's going to be something good that's going to happen. Then last week we talked about, and we had a great time in our small group talking about this, providential relationships, where you're living your life and all of a sudden God just drops this almost angel sometimes in your, into your life. It was just the thing you needed or the person you needed, person you needed at the time. Sometimes it can be for a short time span and you never see that person, never that person again. And as you look back, it's hard to tell at the time, but as you look back, you think, that, was, that was God. God just provided that. And I shared some stories of mine and heard a bunch of stories from other people. And it's, it's common experience for those of us who are Jesus followers that God puts these type of people into our lives. Anyway, so today, fourth area that you and I can grow our faith, I'm going to call these private disciplines. Right? Private disciplines. In fact, I'm going to narrow it down even more. Private spiritual disciplines. So I'm not going to talk about diet and exercise and those type of things. Private spiritual disciplines, and specifically, I'm going to talk about three. Um, your quiet time, your uh, financial giving, uh, percentage financial giving, and then corporate worship. These are things that you and I pre-decide. So, I'm going to pre-decide, the first thing in the morning, I'm going to spend some time with God. I pre-decide I'm going to give a certain portion of my income, even before I get my paycheck. I pre-decide that Sunday morning I go to church or small group night I go to small group. 
free to decide. See, what most of us do is what? I get up Sunday morning and say, eh, I don't know if I feel like going to church this morning. In fact, my wife says to me, why don't we stay home sometime? And I said, well, they pay me. I have to be there. But anyway, um, you know, we, we get our paycheck. And we say, eh, how much do I think I should want to give to church? Oh, I got these extra expenses, so maybe I won't give anything to the church. I don't feel like, you know, I'm a busy day. I won't spend any time with God today by myself. So these are things pre-decided. And these are things that we, if you're a Jesus follower, you've been around church for a while, you know you should do, right? These are ought-tos. And eventually they become want-tos. And that's how we grow in our faith. Now here's the real challenge. When you do those things and you get this feeling that, ah, I didn't get nothing out of that. You ever have your quiet time and get up and think, I didn't get anything out of that? I have, all right? Have you ever been to church and go home and think, yeah, I didn't get much out of that today? Or give financially and think, yeah. that's when it grows your faith, right? But I've predecided whether I get something out of this or not. That's what faith requires. It builds, strengthens our faith. So, when he said, Jesus said what? Follow me. That means watch me and do what I do. Now, the interesting thing about this, this is personal, right? I'm a person following another person. And what happens is, often, especially when our faith decreases, that we lose the personal concept of Christianity. And it just becomes a, I'm going to use the word religion. Just rules and religions. And our faith becomes cold because it's not about a relationship anymore. And who wants to keep those rules? Especially rules that nobody else is forcing me. I've got to pay taxes. I don't have to give money to church. I don't have to spend time with God in the morning. I don't have to do those things. That's a good sign. If your faith beginning to grow cold, it's because you're losing a sense that this is a personal relationship, you and God. I don't know about you. I'm married. I love my wife. And I love spending time with her. I love becoming more intimate with her. And our relationship with God is no different. We should love spending time with Him. And our intimacy with Him will grow. And we all met people on the flip side of this. Have you ever met somebody who's been going to church all their lives and they're just nasty people? You don't want to be around them. You can't understand why they call themselves a Christian. In fact, they give Christians a bad name, right? They're judgmental and they're just... And you sort of... Well, how, how is that possible? Because it's no longer personal. In fact, I put it on, this way on your, on your outline. When you're no longer following, what's it become? You're just Christian. You're just religion. So, when our faith is growing, what bothers God bothers me. And what brings God joy brings me joy. Think about with my wife. What bothers her bothers me. What brings her joy brings me joy. Same thing with God. So, three private disciplines. First one, daily devotion, quiet time, whatever terminology you want to use. And this is, I think, the primary way that God speaks to you and I. I believe he does to me. Because this happens every day for me and hopefully for you. Hopefully God speaks to you during this hour on Sunday. 
But the way mainly and, and most uh, immediately or consistently God can speak to you and I is through what we call daily devotions. Now, <clears throat> need to read a little bit of the Bible. If you haven't used to this, I would suggest take a gospel, read a chapter a day, and when you read it, put yourself in the story. I'm right there with Jesus when he's healing this person or talk, teaching this or whatever. And then spend some time praying. Praying means talking to God and listening to God. And often people use a, 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 a devotional, something somebody else comments on that scripture. And that's always good. I use multiple ones of them also. So, spend some time. Sometimes it's something God really lays on my heart. Other times it's just, hey, that was encouraging. That was, you know, it's encouraging for me to spend time with my wife. It should be encouraging for me to send, send time with my Lord. Now, Jesus, assume this. If you're Jesus, well, if you're not, I understand you're not going to spend time doing this. But remember back when we studied the Lord's Prayer, what did he say? When you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, Matthew 6, I believe, yeah, Matthew 6. When you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private, okay? Private discipline. Nobody sees you do this. Nobody knows you do this. Now, some of you got little kids, a little hard sometimes, maybe. <laughs> but uh, find some quiet time. It's hard to hear God when there's so much noise all around us, isn't it? And then it, your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, this is not optional. He didn't say if you want to, right? But it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be optional for me to spend time with my wife. <laughs> so it's not, not optional. It should become a desire. But if it's not, it starts to start out with a discipline. So Jesus wouldn't tell us to do stuff that he didn't do. So I'll give you a couple examples from Scripture. One of them's kind of funny. Back in the beginning of his ministry, uh, this is in Luke chapter 5. <clears throat> Jesus, despite, but despite Jesus' destruction, what did Jesus do? He just healed somebody. And what he sometimes did was, okay, keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody. Now, if you had a serious disease or a handicap and it was healed, would you keep quiet? No. Okay. So I, it's kind of confusing, but Jesus would say that, and the people go and blab it all over. And so consequently, what happens? The report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to heal, be healed of their diseases. He healed you, maybe he'll heal me, right? So, what's Jesus do? But Jesus, what's the word? Often, not once in a while, sometimes, but often withdrew to the translations are different here, wilderness, desert, you know, basically by himself. Get away from the crowd to spend time in prayer, talking to the Father and let the Father talk to me. Now, we're all busy people, right? If you're not, I envy you. But anyway, most of us are busy people. And so we have all these demands on our lives, all this stuff we need to do. Who do you think had more demands on his life than Jesus? Anybody want to raise your hand? All right. Anyway, he knew he only had three plus years to do it. It's priority. Got to spend time with the Father, or he's going to mess up the other time. Where did he get his strength from? Our time with the Father. Where do you and I get our strength from? Time with the Father. Now, this other incident, this is right, right at the beginning of his ministry. 
this is Mark's account. Well, this is actually Peter's account that Mark wrote. And Jesus got up early in the morning when it was still very dark. So when we're talking before dawn, he departed and went out again to a deserted place, got away by himself, and there he spent time in prayer. Now, so the disciples eventually wake up, Simon Peter for one, and his companions, and they go, where's Jesus? (laughs) It's breakfast time, where is he? And so they go looking for him. They said, everybody's looking for you. Well, got to spend time with the Father. I remember something I read about Martin Luther 500 years ago. He said, I got so much to do today, I got to spend an extra hour in prayer. I don't know about you, but that's not my attitude. I got to get this prayer thing over with so I can do all that stuff. So pre-decide, because we always have the busyness of life on us, right? So you got to pre-decide. You've got to be disciplined. Because in that time, our spirits, our minds are renewed. We are energized. We're encouraged. Sometimes we're straightened out maybe where where we're off track. Alone time with God. One spiritual, private spiritual discipline. Second one, percentage giving. Percentage giving. Now, I've noticed this over the years that men seem to struggle with this more than women. Women are more likely to want to do this before the men come along. And, and I think it's because, quote unquote, women make money too. But, we, you know, we're supporting the family. We need to bring home the, bring home the money. And, and so... We want, we, we make it so we want to control it. <clears throat> but financial giving is never a financial issue. That's, I know most of you. Most of you aren't starving. <laughs> In fact, I don't know of any of you that are starving. So it's not a financial issue. You have money. You have money for your needs. Let me put it that way. Right? So it's always a faith thing. Never a financial thing. It's always a faith thing. Matters what your priorities are. If you show me your checkbook, where your money goes, I can tell you where your priorities are. If you want to know where your priorities are, look at your checkbook. Probably the best indication of our priorities is where we spend our money and where we spend our most of our time thinking about. Now, we all work, earn incomes, so we have to spend time at work. But what do you spend your time thinking about? Is it always about money? I can get more money. So, <laughs> Jesus said something back in the Sermon on the Mount, and it kind of bugs all of us because we all worry, and he said, don't worry, right? <laughs> he says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? Now, anybody worry about those things this morning? Oh, I don't have any food in my house. I don't have any clothes in my closet. Now, ladies sometimes say, I don't have anything to wear, but they don't really mean it, do they? Now, we don't even worry about those things. People in his, that we're listening to, that was a concern of theirs. So we worry about what? Worry about our kids. Are they going to get bullied at school? Are they going to, you know, flunk out of school? Are they going to get into college? Are they going to get a good job? Are they, you know, I'm worried about one of my grandsons that tell me he's driving really fast. And I'm concerned. I'm worried about that. He could have an accident. He could get killed, kill somebody else, whatever. Um... I'm not going to have enough money to, to retire on. With inflation now, it's, you know, my money's going to go not, not as far. Um, 
So we don't worry about those things, but we've got plenty of other things we can worry about, right? But Jesus said, ah, you don't worry. These things dominate the thoughts of who? Unbelievers. So we're acting like unbelievers when you and I worry about all these things. Kind of harsh to think about, isn't it? But don't need to worry why, because your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So if he already knows, the only issue is, is he going to provide? And the longer you've been a believer, you find out, yeah, God, God does provide. So it's about, do I believe that God will provide, not my wants, that, that's where I think we struggle, but my needs? Will he? Well, he said he will. Can I trust him? Do I really believe him? And that's how faith grows. Now, it's easy to believe God for stuff you can't control, like, oh, when I, I'll go to heaven when I die. Can't, I have no control over that, right? So it's easy for me to believe him for that. But what about, you know, do I have to hold on to this money? I know there's a real need over here, but I don't know if I'll have enough, really not for my needs, but for my wants. So, after he said that, he said this, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Priority number one. Okay? All those, not those things we worry about. And live righteously or do the right thing. And he, God, will give you everything you need. There's the promise. So, on your outline, percentage giving. I'll explain this in a second. Exercises our faith because it involves letting go of what we most inclined to put our confidence in rather than God. And that's our ability to make money and decide what to do with it. The flip side of percentage giving is what I call crisis giving. So, there's a crisis. There's a hurricane in Katrina and all kinds of people sent millions and probably billions of dollars to Louisiana, right? Remember that years ago? That's crisis giving. You know who does that? Everybody does that. Now, believers do it, and, I'm, I'm, and we need to do it. But you don't have to be a believer to do that. So, it takes faith to decide, okay, God, now I, we believe the Bible teaches 10%, but most people don't give 10% of their income anymore. I've been doing this since I was a kid, and never even think about it, more than 10%. But anyway, again, it's not a financial issue. But pick a percentage. If you've never done this before, pick 1% or 2%, 3%, whatever. Just pick a percentage, and before you do anything else with your finances, give that amount. I mean, you don't have to give it here. I would welcome you to give it here, but give it away. Percentage giving will grow your faith. Do you want to grow your faith? In fact, Jesus, earlier on that, in chapter 6 of Matthew, what did he say? He said, no one can serve two masters. Well, that makes sense, right? Can't have two bosses telling me two different things. For we will hate one and love the other, or devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and the devil. That's what he said, right? We think God and devil are opposites, right? Now, what did he say? Jesus was so brilliant. He said, you can't serve God and literal translation is mammon, but we translate it enslaved to money. That's what all you can think about. That occupies all your time and energy. Does it occupy all your time and energy? Then that's your master. Terrible person, uh, master to be a slave to, by the way. <laughs> and Jesus is just the opposite. But it's a choice. 
You and I choose. So why is this a battle? You get up here and say, everybody give 10% of your income, everybody give it. Never has happened before. That'd be kind of cool if it happened now, but anyway. Why is it a battle? Especially this financial thing, because we think that money's mine. I made it. And it's a degree of our confidence in God. And that crisis giving, you know what that is? That's really about you. It's really about ego. Look what I did to help these poor people. So, percentage giving. Thirdly, corporate worship. You say, wait a minute, I thought you said these were private disciplines. Well, you make the decision in private, right? You decided this morning, those of you who are here, to get up and come here. Those of you who are watching decided I'm going to watch, right? So I put this on your outline, and I can't explain it. I just believe it. God said it, and I experienced it. Something happens personally inside of me when we gather together. Back in 2020, we couldn't gather. Remember that? Ten of us were here. <laughs> Ten of us were here. It wasn't the same. Let me tell you, absolutely tell you. It wasn't the same. And it wasn't because we missed this building. We didn't miss driving here. What did we miss? Exactly what Jesus was saying. And it's just one verse. Where two or three of you gathered together, as my followers, I'm there among you. There's something I experience, you experience when we're together that I don't experience any other time, any other way. Paul gives us an illustration. He put it this way. All of you together are Christ's body. All right, so together we make up Christ's body. And each of you is part of it. All right, so finger, toe, ear, whatever, right? Now, if I cut off my finger, how well does that finger do? And how well do I do without that finger? So that finger dies and I'm handicapped. That's a good illustration of what happens when we, we talked about this last week, I think, neglect or banding meeting together. Now, it's wonderful we can do it online. This, I don't believe, happens there. We are better than me. So, on your outline, it's a reminder that God is up to something bigger than just me. But it includes me. I thought about team, playing softball. One player is not that significant. But together, we can play a game. We can team. We lose the second game too. <laughs> I, I left in the middle of the second game. It was raining anyway. Uh, so, Back to what we said earlier, there's no progress without discipline. Physical disciplines, financial disciplines, spiritual disciplines. So, are you reactive or proactive? Crisis comes along, oh, I'm going to pray and read my Bible. Yeah, time's good, I neglect it. Oh, I'm in a crisis, I better give faithfully to the church. I better faithfully show up at church. No, let's be proactive. Let's be discipline. Let's have progress. Let's have our faith grow. There's other personal disciplines. We just talked about three today. But Back to what we started earlier. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First. And all the other things we're given to you. So, here's your challenge. Call it a 30-day challenge. Could be longer. <laughs> here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you haven't been doing this or you did it once upon a time and not doing it anymore. Spend the first minutes of your day. Now, I know some of you need 15 minutes to wake up or whatever that means. But in the beginning of your day, if at all possible, with God, when you get that paycheck, decide on that percentage and set that aside before you even look at your bills. And then just decide you're going to be here Sunday morning. Not wake up Sunday morning and say, eh, I feel like I'm going today or I don't feel like going today. The key here is this is where you and I find intimacy. And that's what you and I crave. Intimacy with one another and intimacy with God. It's not artificial. This works. This is real. So I pray for you as you do this. And hopefully I'll remember 30 days from now to ask you how you're doing. Let me pray with you and then we'll have a final song. Father God, thank you. We thank you that you desire to have intimacy with us. I pray that we desire to have it with you. Uh, you desire for us to have an amazing faith, a growing faith, a strong faith. I pray that we have the desire to do the things that result in a growing, strong faith. I especially pray for the younger folks here because eh, it's easy when you're young to just think, uh, uh, I can almost do anything and things will work out. Uh, I pray that we all would seek to be disciples Discipleship requires discipline. Pray for anyone that's not a Jesus follower, <laughs> that they would see the, the need, the desire, the benefit to saying yes to Jesus. Not just to believe it, but to follow it. And if you make that decision, please let us know so we can come alongside you. Father God, thank you for your presence here. You've spoken. I pray that we have listened and been obedient. In your name we pray. Amen.